Are you ready to consume the knowledge to take your investigations to another level? Are you looking for ways to fuel your driving force that provide the techniques in hunting, capturing, and interrogating killers? Bring justice to homicide victims. We are their voice. I am your host, Freddie Ponce, and I interview the top homicide investigators around and the great minds in the field of death investigations. They will share their case studies to help you succeed in solving the toughest of murder cases. Prepare yourself for an unforgettable experience. This is Talking Murder. Welcome to Talking Murder. I'm your host, Freddie Ponce. And uh, if you're new to uh, Talking Murder podcast, uh, the purpose of the podcast is uh, to bring training and uh, our experiences as homicide investigators to the ears of uh, new uh, criminal investigators and homicide investigators and for others that choose to be uh, in the love of this uh, investigative uh, um, field that they are in and want to reinforce their foundations of investigations. Um, and I bring uh, the guest uh, again, once again, uh, my good friend, uh, Jose Pep Granado. Um, well, and I want to discuss with Pep in several sessions uh, the different um, procedures for interviewing and uh, interrogations. As those of you know that have been uh, to previous interrogation schools, there's a process and a structured format that's important to have as, uh, as part of investigators. We know that there are investigators that are, you know, are, have extreme experience or have their own techniques of uh, interviewing and their own t techniques that they've formed throughout the years of interrogations, but the structured format is something that'll keep us organized and uh, help us in uh, closing cases. Uh, the interrogation technique process is a lengthy process. Um, if you've been to some interrogation school, you know that they are, they are a week long and some other ones are, are longer. Um, so my intention with Pep here is to um, start with the uh, preparation for interrogation. This is all prior to entering the interrogation room, um, the, the, the mental aspects of it and what's necessary, what needs to get done prior to entering the interrogation room. So. Um, we'll begin with the preparation of interrogations, and then um, in the next several sessions, uh, we'll move forward into what happens inside the interrogation room. So we'll bring uh, Jose Pep Granado on. You can catch him at skymacconsulting.com. Uh, if you want to um, locate me and contact me for training, um, you can uh, locate me at Criminal Investigations Training Group. Dot com or my website, freddyponce.com, and uh, we'll get together, at, um, bring the training over to you, uh, wherever you and uh, your team may be at. So let's bring up Jose Pacuanaro. Well, what's up, Pep? Another day in paradise, my friend. All right. Glad to be here. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, hey, th thanks again for doing this. Um, you know, we have, um, there's so many different aspects of investigations that we, um, um, that we need to be skilled at as investigators. I, yeah. Uh, you know what the funny thing is, is that um, investigation from all facets is so 
uh, it evolves daily. It's a constant uh, evolution, and you just can't stay and uh, scripted to just one thing yeah. and think that that is the, uh, the the telltale for everything. It's so fluid um, yeah. that you have to be able to almost become a chameleon and just change with the times and how things work. Because what we do today is nowhere near close to what was done in the 80s, the 70s, the, the 60s, for sure the 50s, you know, even in even early 90s. Right. Um, so it's very, uh, it's very advantageous to continuously uh, hone your skills and just ply yourself to what's coming up and try to become better at it daily. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be daily. Um, you know, at minimum, be be currently up to date of what's going on in, in the thing that we do. It's just like any any profession, like like law. You got to be up to date in all the laws. What's yep. what what the changes are around the country. What the different techniques are being used for investigations. Um, if you sit stagnant and you are not following up, you're the you know the information is not going to be pre prevalent for you for your investigation. Uh, a case that you could probably be solving and just don't have the know-how or the knowledge. No, and, and you know what the sad thing is, is that because the way things have evolved uh, and the way cases are worked uh, nowadays, um, there's a good chance where the younger investigators don't get the volume um, of cases to where they are able to hone in on their skills. So, you know, you have maybe uh, an agency that at one time... Um, had a lot of cases, so it was easier for an investigator coming in to their own to be able um, to get into a lot of the ground floor, uh, the groundwork of investigating yeah. and interviewing. Now you're limited because one, you're short of investigators. Yes. Um, your caseloads, they may be the volume may be differently. Maybe your job descriptions have changed. Mm. There's a possibility that. You don't work as many cases of violent cases that you used to, or maybe there's so many that it's yes. just, you know, overwhelming. So you really have to uh, be able to uh, get uh, individuals that want to come in and even on their own uh, try to apply those skills because you can lose them. It's like everything else. Yes. You know, if you don't use what, you're, what you have, mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're going to lose it. And someone else is going to come in and things change. And before you know it, you're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that, that happened. I didn't know when did that happen. Right. You know, so it's 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 ever changing. Yeah, you could be dormant. Uh, and, and you bring up such a great point. We used to be so active with cases. And then then the few and far between come. And then what are you doing in between? You're going to. Yeah. Yeah. When are you going to let's say we're we're, not, we're talking this topic of uh, interrogations, uh, the skills of interviewing. Um you know, when you're not faced with a, a, a suspect or an offender, or let's, you, you may be working a good case, you capture the offender, and then he invokes on you. There goes your chance of interviewing that guy. Now you got to wait for the next case. Correct. And um, you know what the funny thing about that, and you brought that up, and I think we talked about it uh, the first time that we spoke, and what do you do in between? Mm. And a lot of times investigators get... Um, tunnel visioned into the this is what we do and it's all by the numbers we're going to do this and we're going to do that and it's going to be a and b and you have to be pliable and that's what i meant by saying that you have to be flexible and fluid because you don't necessarily always have to follow a strict format 
And I've always taught those that I mentored is to have the gift of gab. And mm -hmm. I talk about that in my book, is the gift of gab. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you need to have a conversation before you get into the interrogation. Sure. And yes. how do you break the ice when you have a guy that's sitting there that's just looking at you stoically like if, yeah, okay, whatever. So how does one practice the gift of gab? If, if we're not involved in law enforcement, right. how does someone just practice the gift of gab? Conversation. It is very difficult because of the way that we are brought up and um, our demeanor as people where we feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. speaking to people and you know that saying like when someone comes in and says you're, you're in the elevator and as everybody comes in what do they do notice and i've and i've done this on quite a few times people immediately lower their heads yes, yes. like they don't want to have eye contact I they don't, don't want to <laughs> they, they don't want to have anything to say with anybody i don't want to look at you because no, i don't want to seem like a creep <laughs> correct or or, or, you, or i'm afraid that you're going to say something and then you know how people sort of kind of laugh when yes. someone walks in and they say good morning or good afternoon. Yeah. And then you hear that, yeah, good morning. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, good. And so it's one of those where uh, you show up at, especially here in Miami, which is the perfect spot to really uh, engage with people because you can go to any outdoor cafe, cafeteria, yes. to have a coffee yes. and literally strike up a conversation with a perfect stranger. Yes. And it could be over a cup of coffee. It could be over, oh man, that's a nice shirt that you're wearing, or where did you get that, or where are you from, type of deal, just because of the accents, the different flavors that we have here, right. and that really helps us out a lot. Yeah, it, I mean, it takes a, a certain kind of personality of a person to just approach a stranger to strike up a conversation, but what do we do about the introvert types that are not so open like that? I mean, there's a structure of some sort of training. I mean, we you have... Uh, Professionals like journalism, journalists who have to do constantly doing interviews. These people did not start as being professional communicators. Um, a system of communicating with somebody uh, out in the open and, and be easy for them. You know what? I think that a perfect experiment, something that I've done with my guys, mm. was go out and I would always have my meetings out in the open. Mm. Uh, in the office, it's all good because we all know each other, whatever. But... I found it more instructive to take my guys out into the field, mm -hmm. sit at a cafe, especially those that were new, yes. and start talking. And then all of a sudden, I would strike up a conversation and see at what point the new guy, uh, you know, the inexperienced investigator was going to start picking up on the fact that maybe I can get involved in the conversation. And it could be depending. Now it's baseball season. Well, let's talk about spring training. Let's yeah. talk about what's going on with, you know, who just got the biggest contract right. and let that whole thing flow. Or if you're into soccer, have a little bit of that. I mean, I'm not talking about just the sports, but there's some people that will immediately go into politics. And you know how that is. I mean, politics, I really try to avoid it because yeah. you have one of two ways of going. Either you're with the person who's talking to you about the politics and everything is great or your opinion is different. And it's then one-sided to them. Correct. Yeah. And then all of a sudden now, and so it turns them off. So you want to have a neutral yeah. And what is more common than sports, right? you know, or the weather or the car, yeah. something that hones everybody in and brings them closer. 
you know, that's where I think we've lost a little bit of that because we don't have the conversation because we're so used to the electronics. We're used to yes. the technology that yeah. it's like we refuse to speak. Right, right. And I don't understand that. I, I uh, in my, with the students, the uh, detectives that I train, I, I tell them, you know, we, t we talk about the same topic, this issue right here of the, what do we do in between when we're not actually doing interviews at work? And I, I love the conversation or engagement uh, when somebody's talking about um, in a conversation at home or wherever it is on the street, like you said, and they want to talk, let's say somebody's got a story about a vacation they just went on. What a perfect situation to be involved in a conversation like that where you're actually going to debrief the person, which is what we do at work, about their vacation. Yeah. So what do we have to cover? Their emotions of how, how the vacation went, what they saw, you know, what they, what they uh, how the hotel was, how was the flight, the I beginning, the middle. Uh, if they went to eat, how was the food visually? Right. Did, did it taste good? Did it smell good? The, thing, the whole experience. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. the thing that's funny is that investigators immediately think that because they enter into the inter interview room, mm. they immediately have to go into Miranda. Well, there's, right, an intro right. there's an introductory period. Oh, my goodness, yes. We're, we're going to get into that because that's I mean, so long. Yeah. And, and you can sit there and you can have a complete introduction. And yeah. I've always told anyone, you can speak... And talk about whatever you want, so long as you don't do anything that's going to elicit a response pertaining to your case. That doesn't mean you can't. You don't have to have a conversation. You know, it, I always found it funny when I come in and I go, you know, just as an example. You know, good afternoon. Hi, I'm Detective Granado, and I'm in charge of this case. And I just want you to know who I am. And right. you know, is there anything that you need? Do you want to have some water or anything? And you know, and I'm just going to get a little bit of background yeah. on you, your name mm -hmm. or whatever and you see them where they're just quiet right and because they're expecting you to come in here with sure. i don't know what some kind of full force full court press yes and you're going dude i just need your name i mean you can give me your name it's not right. against the law right, right and your date of birth i mean those are things that are normal normal introduction yeah you know and and you'd be surprised how many times you know people will start talking about whatever their 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 creativity their uh their hobbies and mm -hmm. you know that's fine you know you don't need to go in there thinking that you're hardcore and i'm going up against uh you know uh public enemy yep. number one and i've got to listen they got to know who you are yep. and the same way that you need to know because who, who do i do i call you what do i call you for the rest of the day right blank right. mr blank Right. You know, like in that movie, what's the name? Uh, uh, Mr. Pink and Mr. White. And, you know, I mean, really? Is that what I call you? Right, right. I, it's it's got to be a more relaxed situation. But, I mean, and even before we get to, before we even get to the point that entering that interrogation room, the what we were just talking about is to be successful, the amount of hours that you have to be as a professional communicator and just you know, practice extracting information from people, uh, even if they're not, you practice it, you're practicing it already with the witnesses. Yes. Practice it out in the field with your friends, with your family members. It's just in the flow of nicely, courteously extract information from people. Correct. Um, I mean, because a professional 
pilot, helicopter pilot, whatever, how many hours does he have to be on the air before he does a perfect landing and whatever, you know, what, yeah. what did the, that, that, that pilot from New York, he landed on the, on the, on oh, the, the Hudson. Yeah. Sully. So absolutely. Sully says, yeah, no problem. I landed it on the water. Yeah, but how but many other it, incidents right. did he have where he had to make those landings when he was right. in the so, military? Right. So, what's uh, what's his training? What or you know, how many hours of training does he have to go to go to flight school? You know, for us, what let's say we're ten hours a uh, ten hours a day, four days a week, forty hours forty hours a week for fifty weeks out of the year, and let's do ten years of that. Yeah, and then. 10 years of all those hours, uh, and then people ask, hey, how did you get him to confess like that? Yeah. Well, it, it took me uh, 10,000 hours. It's, the funny thing is that we also, we hate to, as introspectives, we, we hate to like criticize ourselves and because of our, you know, ego, mm. uh, that we are who we are. We hate to have someone come up and say, Man, you know what? You could have like tweaked that a little bit, or you could have done this. All of a sudden, we come in and we say, "Man, who are you to come and tell me? I'm, I'm, I'm like the right. bomb. I'm the best thing in the planet." Right. Well, do you really want to take that approach? I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I would love to have someone. You know, obviously, everything is with respect, and we kid around with each other, especially if you know each other. But you could always come in and learn from someone else, saying, "Listen, you could have, you or you had them hooked." And you let them go because you did this. Or, you know, your posture, the way that you immediately came in and you threw out that that bravado in the guy's face and all of a sudden that turned him off and it really kind of like toned him down. There's no there's nothing against the investigator being meek. There's right. nothing against the investigator coming in there almost like, man, you know, you're really helping me and you know, I need there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why? Because at the end of the day, you want to get the information that he has. Sure. So whichever way you get it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is the goal. No, ideas are going to come from everywhere. Uh, when a senior investigator is training a young investigator, that young investigator comes up with an idea, and it sounds really good. What, you're not going to use it because he, he, he's a rookie? Correct. I mean, really, that that's not going to happen. You um, need to always store things in your toolbox. The ego, I like the, to say that. The ego issue that you bring up is, is very relevant. It's very true, and it, it does happen. Um, and what about when we hear um, these investigators, uh, you know, uh, when they need to stay on top of their training as far as, let's say, for example, this interrogations. Um, and their supervisor may say, oh, uh, you need to go to interrogation school or go look for a class. Oh, no, I, I took that class 10 years ago. And they think that, that just because they took that class, that interview interrogation class 10 years ago, that it's sufficient enough that tomorrow when he's going to go interview somebody. The, the thing with that, and I'm, I think training is so crucial because everything evolves. And I go back to if the training unit, that's that um, synergy that, each division has to have with the training unit. I need to send two young guys to this next training for interviews and interrogation. Mm. But I also need to send this veteran guy 
that I have who has who his last training was like you said ten years ago. Yeah. He needs to be brought up to speed. Yeah. And so yeah, he has a lot of field work. Mm. He's got a lot of that under his belt that he's used because he has been interviewing and interrogating. Yeah. But he doesn't have the latest. Right. So you have one of two options. You have the command staff that sits there and says, absolutely, we grant training. Mm. We have the other command staff that sit there and say, we have a shortage. There is no training. And I've been a part of a command staff where all training was denied. So how yes. do you train? So how, unless it's free or unless it's whatever, how do you get your investigators or your officers to that next level if everything is denied? Yeah. No, and that's an investigator. You have to recognize if that's the problem. You got to self-initiate. Also, you got to correct. And, take... and how many yep. self-motivated investigators do we have that are willing yep. to take that next step and say, you know what? If you give me the time, I'll pay the four hundred dollars for the class, right? Or I'll pay the whatever. And because that's only going to benefit the investigator. Sure. But now we're talking about that other level of investigator, the one that is self-motivated that is ready to roll with everything, that never turns down an assignment, that whenever you put them, listen, I need you to go and do a canvas. How many times do you not have a guy go out and do a canvas, knocks on the door, and the person says, oh, I don't know, and he just walks away? Right. Really? But they've been snooping. You see that that neighbor has been outside from the moment that the police arrived, mm -hmm. so you don't think that that neighbor is curious about everything that happens, and you just let it stand that, Oh, yeah, no, and you walk away. You have to have that ability to understand and to gauge the person that you're talking to. Well, that impact that in, in for that investigator to have that initiative of understanding that he needs to be have the ability to enter in an interrogation room at, at any moment's notice, at any time. He understands there's a responsibility that comes with that. There are people that are relying on him or her that they have to be fluid in this. Um, they don't. They're not. Let's say victims' families. They, uh, they they're they're expecting you to do very good, to be good at what you do, uh, and it's what the complaints that may be coming from wherever that the police department didn't train me. That I didn't have the time. That's not their problem. No, it's not their problem. It's up to them to to be um, uh, to be professionals and be ready, be uh, be ready uh, um, at all times. It, it's 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 very few. It's like the big leagues. You don't get a first year. And I'm just, there's obviously there's the exceptions to the rule, mm -hmm. but not every person that goes up to the big leagues or goes into the NFL. Um, and all of a sudden, they become the starter. There's a process for that, and there's a reason. So why is it that investigators nowadays have an issue when the lead investigator of a case says, I need you to go canvas, and I need you to speak to A, B, and C, yeah. and then we can come back? Why is that? Some investigators feel that demeaning. Oh, why are you having me do that? Why are you having me do that stuff? Oh. And they don't understand that that's building your foundation. Sure. That's getting you into that level to where now you know what a canvas is, is all about. Mm -hmm. Because when you come back from the canvas, 
and you speak to the lead investigator during the briefing and you say, what did you get or what did you learn? And you sit there and you go, oh, no, so-and-so. Uh, there's a guy that lives on the corner, but he didn't. Okay, what's his name? Oh, I didn't get it because he just said he didn't see nothing. And really? then you expect to go interview a sus main suspect. You can't get that? Correct. That. And so now later on, it just so happens that that person that you didn't get a name from, who so happens that he just moved because he doesn't live there anymore, was a witness to the case. Right. And someone tells you, oh, yeah, uh, Mr. Smith, who lived on the corner, he saw it because he told me. Yeah. Now you're going through your notes and you're going, oh, wow, okay, that's the guy that investigator mm. number one went out and said, oh, no, he just didn't have anything. That reminds me of what, I mean, and this changes a lot. Um, there used to be a time where um, the brand new investigator uh, of a homicide I guess, investigator would not get their main case till like six months or a year later. Easy. So, but then now we're throwing them out to the wolves out there and we're having these problems. And, that, and that's a disservice. And I was fortunate in, this, in the sense that when I first started in homicide and back in 1988, um, we were averaging well over 200 mm -hmm. homicides a year. Yeah. So with six teams, you were going to get your fair share. Mm -hmm. And even as a new investigator, I was a scribe. I was a gopher. Right. I wasn't a lead. Sure. I worked every natural case. I worked every unclassified. And that's all my responsibilities were naturals and unclassifieds. And the guy who mentored me mm -hmm. made it a point to see how I interviewed on the naturals who the people were at the house, what information I gathered from them, how were my notes, did I take good notes, did I write down what I needed to write down, or did I just, you know, leave it up in the air and, you know, like you have some guys that say, oh, no, no, I have it all in my memory. Well, that's all well and good, <laughs> and I have a pretty good memory, but not enough for you to tell me on one of my over a thousand cases, do you remember what happened in 1991 at this location, I'm like, I, I have no clue. I have no clue. So you have to live um, reviewing your notes, and then that should bring you up. And if you took good notes from a good interview, yep. you should have no problem. Just like the unclassified. The, the majority of them turn out to be naturals mm -hmm. because of whatever, mm -hmm. but still. So we have that responsibility to the new investigators, and unfortunately, we're cutting them short. Yeah. We're not really giving them the proper training because we are, like you said, throwing them to the wolves. Yeah. And that's a, a big error on not just the agency's part, but on the division and on the unit itself. But then again, who in the unit is training who? Right, right. Is it the guy with four months on that's training a guy? What does the guy with Yeah, four when you have a young with? police department, that could happen, but hopefully... Uh... But what happens when the department isn't a young department, but the transition, there hasn't been a preparation for the transition. Right. So when I came on, I could go into homicide knowing that every team had at least minimum two or three senior investigators oh, with yeah. well over oh, 10 years of yes, experience. Yes. As time went on, mm. how many teams had that luxury? Not too many. Right. And as I left, how many guys stayed that had 10 years on, five, you know, 
And then up until about a year ago, year and a half ago, and I can only talk about the one conversation I had with the one supervisor with the city of Miami, he said, well, this is Detective so-and-so is my lead. And I said, okay, I don't recognize him. And I pretty much go up to the homicide office all the time just to say hello and just to feel the, mm. the big breeze of Miami. Yeah. And the guy says, oh, yeah, I'm the lead and I'm a six months on <laughs> and I'm one of the senior guys in homicide. Yeah. I'm like, with six months on. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, some, you know, uh, I, I got to say, I, I mean, they're in their... The training is coming along. Yeah, it, it, they're 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 putting them through. Sometimes when you have a, a young unit, a young police department, you're you're you have what you have, and you gotta make the best of it. And I think they're coming around um, and 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 trying to get them in that right place. But it's not just with Miami; it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there is a that lack, and I just my fear is that I would hate to have investigators dependent on what they watch on TV right. and what they see in the That's movies a mistake. Yeah. and think that that is the way to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some things that you sit there and you go, okay, yeah, that's, that's plausible. That could happen. Right. You know, it's close, but not really. Right. And then there's others where you sit there and you go, oh my gosh, what the heck was that? Yeah. And you hate to have a new guy look at it and say, oh yeah, that, oh yeah, that's the way that, uh, uh, that why shouldn't that work? Wow. Okay. Right. Uh, you know, so Pat leads me into. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, you know uh, preparing for what potentially could lead to an interrogation of a suspect uh, uh, before even getting into the interrogation room. What preparations um, or, or what needs to happen for that investigator to be ready? You know, in, in once he's let's say once he's a we we know that he should be responsible enough to get their training but now he's assigned the case um how can he prepare to have a solid interview the good thing with a with a, the solid interview starts with the information that you've gathered mm. so we're not even going to talk about interviewing the suspect right now no, no. we're going with the base what did we say the canvas the interview of the people on the street Mm. You've identified from those people that you've talked to, you've identified two or three witnesses. And we're going to go good case scenario. We're not going to go where you have no witness. Right. You've identified two or three good witnesses. How much of that information did you obtain? Mm. How much of their information did you obtain? How much of it is, did you allow them to speak to each other? Did, did you make that mistake? Because you know that that's, sure. you can't do that. Or are you able to discern that the information that you're giving me mm -hmm. right now is not the same as witness number two, but it's close enough where you know that it's right on, that you're coming into that one area where you say, man, this is good information. Consistent. Correct. Mm -hmm. Or is it that your information is exactly, almost verbatim, what witness two said? Now you sit there and say... Did they talk to each other? Yeah, a problem, yes. Or where did that come about, where mm -hmm. that is so precise right. that there has to be a problem there? Mm -hmm. So that information that you get, the evidence on the scene. The crime scene is that, big, no? That yeah. is 
being huge. present at the crime scene. Oh my scene. gosh, yes. You yeah. have to be at the crime scene. Yeah. You have to do that first initial walkthrough, that canvas of that area. You have to see where everything is placed because if you leave that to someone else and you come in and you've got to that day where you're going to talk to the offender and all of a sudden mm. you were never at the crime scene and the offender says something off the wall where he says, oh yeah, if you look at the um, house, um, they were shooting at me. And this should be all over the place. I didn't just shoot because I wanted to shoot. Right. They were shooting at me. That briefing, that briefing is key. If it, let's say that even if let's say that was the case that you delegated somebody to do the crime scene for you, you still got to have a briefing, videos, actual pictures. Yes. And then the debriefing of that investigator did that crime scene. Absolutely. For you. And who's and as the lead investigator, you're always going to respond to that scene anyway. Yeah, of course. Whether or not you delegate the scene to someone else. But you need to respond to that scene. So going back to that one, now you sit there and you're going, oh, absolutely, yeah, I, oh, yeah, I, no, I believe you. And how did that come about? And when did... And then all of a sudden you look at photos or you go back out to the scene and you realize that there's not even a strike mark where supposedly right. they totally shot up the place. Mm -hmm. And you're going, oh, wow. No, not, not just, uh, the, so you want to make an analysis of the crime scene also and uh, see the mechanics of how the incident took place or how that murder took place. Uh, was it an organized scene, a disorganized scene? Uh, and if, can a motive be established based on what you observe on the scene? And have all that information with you before you enter that uh, interrogation room is, uh, is so important. Um, you know, who is protecting the offender, who's not protecting the offender, uh, the alibis, it, all that has to be noted, established, uh, and identified from the scene itself because the, uh, the details of the interrogation starts at the scene. It does. And the good thing about those details and being able to have them properly documented, memorialized, is that when you speak with a suspect, or a person of interest. Not only are you trying to get his information, her information, to make your case solid, but what's to stop you from gathering exculpatory evidence, information that can exonerate that individual? Yes. Where all yes. of a sudden now that person becomes a possible witness mm -hmm. or someone else that shouldn't even be there being treated as a suspect or subject in a case, you know, so you just take it only, no, you need to get the information that can also help that person. We're seeking the truth, no matter what it is. Regardless. No matter, and you yeah. we never tailor evidence to yeah. the case. The evidence will always lead us sure. to where we need to go. So long as we follow it. Unfortunately today also because of news media, because of, transparency, uh, because uh, we want the information right now. Mm -hmm. We want to go at warp factor when we should be going at like the slow skis. We yep. should be going at minus 10 miles an hour because we don't want to miss anything. Yep. And it's, I'd much rather my command staff when I go into those meetings or uh, a victim's family next of kin I'd much rather have them be mad at me now, but 
let them know to have a little patience. Right. You know, ask that they allow me to do my job as opposed to have them be happy for me now because, oh, yes, we're making an arrest right now. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, I can't make the arrest. Mm. And now you've just brought them all the way up to where they think they're going to get closure. And now you've just slammed them again against the right up against the concrete. Right. You don't want that. So, or that briefing, that meeting that you have with the family, when you finally say, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, we're making the arrest and we have just picked up X on this case. Right. And we're charging him with this. That is priceless. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, oh yeah, we have to drop the charges because this is not the person. Oh, but you told us that. Yeah, well, I, I kind of sort of, because you're not going to sit there. No, I, very few that I know will sit there and say, yeah, I kind of made that mistake. Oh no, we found something else that came in. You know, right. yeah, they don't want to hear any of and that. You need, all those yeah, and they need to feel that you have a vested interest because that's their family member. It should also be a heavy burden on the investigator himself when he's yes throughout it, that process of when he first gets the case. It's like uh, how important it is, and th that he needs to be ready for for the interview process. In investigators have to take ownership of mm -hmm. their cases, mm -hmm. and they cannot leave things to, well, I'll do that tomorrow. And I only work nine to five. And I can't do anything because, you know, the department. And I, my arguments have always been, my issues have always been, you're either going to pay the investigator now mm. or you're going to pay that investigation later on. So you much rather curtail them for the next two hours, three hours that they have to work now because you don't want to spend the money. Mm -hmm. But yet, a week from now, you have to pay them 10 hours because they've established information that they have to come back that they could have done the first time. Mm -hmm. So it's now it's that three hours plus the added time that they're following up on the leads that they're getting. Yes. You know, if you're looking at it from that standpoint of, mm -hmm. the, of the money value. Mm -hmm. So to me, there is no value in, in putting a cap so long as you're working. Sure. And as long as there are leads. That's why you have to, you know, manage each case. And they have to come to you and say, look, this is what I have. Um, is this something that you can do now? Or is it something that can be done later on? You know, because if, and a perfect example, you're able to, based on, the evidence based on witness statements, everything that you have, you're able to make an arrest. But you choose not to make an arrest because, for whatever reason, you want to do something else. Okay. Time goes on, time goes on, time goes on. But you already have the initial stuff. You already have everything. Sure. So, later on, you make the arrest. Then there are issues that come in because time has ex now time has lapsed. Witnesses' stories have changed. Things happen, and now you're saying, well, what was the difference between now and back then? Why didn't you make the arrest back then? Why did you wait a month from now, and now all of a sudden these witnesses, their life has gone on, you didn't do anything, the guy was still out on the street, 
Now you pick and them up, and now they're like. But then you th you're also taking that risk too that, that another crime could be committed again. Correct. That's, and whose responsibility is oh that? Oh my goodness. So now you've We've heard actually, those horror stories before. You've allowed an individual yeah. to come out and do another crime, mm -hmm. and then that happens, and they come back and say, "But you had him in, and you could have arrested him." Yeah. So now you're sitting here now going, now what do I do? I mean, it's it's yeah. very difficult. Pep, I want to transition into uh, uh, what you were talking about um, preparing for um, it, for the interview itself, um, going into the interview process. And as basic as this uh, may seem, um, some understanding for uh, the investigators that are uh, learning the new process of, of interrogations and it gets thrown out uh, the the words interviews and the word interrogation gets thrown out out there uh, frequently uh, and it's good <laughs> just to uh, explain that there is a difference and there's a dividing line in um, uh, what what is the the uh, uh, the difference between the two and it's and it's very simple because we we talked earlier about uh, everything that we're hopefully trying to cover today is everything that happens prior to reading somebody uh, Miranda rights. Correct. And and that that brings up the topic of what is the definitions of interviewing or what is interrogation. It's in its very simplest form is um, that it turns into an interrogation once you are when the person is detained. You are asking questions that the answers can incriminate them. That right. becomes an interrogation. You've already moved on to interrogation. Anything prior to that, as long as you're not asking the questions that may, the answers may incriminate them, is simply an interview. Correct. And as long as the subject is, allows you to be engaged in this conversation without you turning it into an interrogation, it's just a simple interview. And we're gonna stay at that introductory phase of it for and, uh, for and a truth, long time. Absolutely. And truth be told, it's like I said, so long as you're not asking anything that's going to elicit mm -hmm. an incriminating response mm -hmm. where you're going to get something for that, that's all you're doing. Yeah. Because there is nothing that precludes a subject or a suspect to, in the middle of that interview, all of a sudden say, look, you know, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I needed to, I needed to kill the guy because he was creating this, that, and the other, and I was really, he, he already pissed me off to the point to where I wasn't going to take it anymore, mm. and so I did it. Okay. You're not asking any follow-up questions. You're allowing that individual to speak. So, uttering. So, that is that is a spontaneous utterance that that individual has just thrown out sure. there that, yeah, you may have somebody uh, in a courtroom try to defend mm. that mm. and fight against it, and that was a tactic, and is it? Listen, everything is a tactic. Sure. Everything is whatever. But did I go in there and... No, I didn't. We were talking about the Dolphins. We were talking about the Marlins. And in the middle of that when I said, and your address is where? I'm sorry. Right. All of a sudden, he just had that sigh and said, you know, I had to do it. You're going to yes. stop him from doing that? Right. So we can, we can get into the legal issues of that. Um later on but there i mean the uh, at least here in the for state of florida and for the case laws that are that are present uh federally since you 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 brought that up um there there's there's 
a concern that we should be con conscious of these things that might happen. Correct. Just like you said, the person utters information. So the case law is clear. Look, um, uh, the, if you brought the person in voluntarily and they're not in custody, and during the process of the interview, they start to confess, uh, no, you don't have to stop them like we're discussing now. Um, but I tell my students is this, that if that, if that does happen, uh, if there, when there is a pause or a law in, in, into what's going on, um, I would just for the safe side, go ahead and read them their rights. And it's so um, easy to transition to, to transition. Correct. It is because you can, right. cause you, like you said, when you have that low mm -hmm. and you have that long pause where they, you could always say, look. I want to be able to protect you sure. based on what you're telling me. And mm -hmm. I want to make sure that yeah. everything yeah. is correct yeah. and that we don't have a problem or a misunderstanding. Yeah. So in doing that, I need to go over a couple of things that are important for you. Yes. And then you go into your Miranda, sure. which is so important. Yeah. And that way it's good. Just like new, interrogate, new, new investigators during the interrogation and interview phases need to understand that, you know... Um, Physical or mental um, torment should never be considered because it's just counterproductive. Mm. So you're not going to play head games. You're not going to do whatever. No, listen, this is what we have. You just said this. Oh, yeah, Freddie, look, do me a favor. Let me do this for you because this is going to help you and it's going to help me. Yes. And then that way there's no misunderstanding. Yeah. You, you know, know, even though the case law says it's not necessary, I think it, 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 it's more to protect the case uh, in case there's something happens later on. Correct. Uh, so, it, it, and even the case, that, that thinking should be present um, if, if you are bringing in who you think may be the offender for a voluntary statement. You should already be, you know what, let's, let's treat it as a normal interrogation. We'll just read the, uh, the Miranda rights what, when it's time to read it. When and you know what the good thing about that is? That everybody is so used to watching that on TV mm -hmm. that it's nothing far-fetched for you to come in and say, look, you know how it is. You know how it's done. You know, you've seen it a million times sure. on the television. Let's just go and let's just get this out of the way and then we right. will proceed. And right. the part that's always f funny is when they sit there and they say, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to read. I understand that. Hmm. But reading the rights and checking off, yes, you understood it. Or not, that's all you're doing is letting me know that you understood it's it. clear. At the end, whether or not you choose to talk to me without a lawyer being present, that's now your right, which sure. you check, no, I don't, or yes, I do, whichever, and then you sign it. That does not mean that you have to talk to me. Right, right, right. You know, Just and those are things that investigators nowadays get into the, they're so afraid to be able to come across and mm -hmm. say, look, mm -hmm. by you doing this doesn't mean that you're going to talk to me. It just means that you understand what I'm reading and what you're reading with me. Pep, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about the mindset of, of what the the offender could be thinking, let's say from if he's uh, captured at a different location, and he's brought into he's in custody and he's brought into from the location that he's brought into to the interrogation room, what could be going through his mind? He let's say he is the person who committed the crime. You have your evidence against him. Uh, what are the different things that they could be thinking about as they're coming to the police station or, or let's say you even sit them in the interrogation room for a while while you get ready. 
I mean, I've 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 um, I've worked on different uh, uh, you know research on this and just talking with other investigators and even uh, post uh, interview talking to other uh, offenders. I mean, it's like um, most a uh, lot of them think about you know what the evidence is that that's on the case. Um, what is the investigator thinking about me personally? Who I am as a person? Um, how did you get me? How is it how, that they were turned, able? Yeah. And who ratted me out? Who ratted me who out? Said, because I did this all by myself. Who did I speak to? What could yeah. be, you know, or how I, is it that? I know no one saw me on the scene. Correct. Uh, I had gloves on. They can't have fingerprints on me. Right. Um, you know, different. Uh, all and the, the different... funny thing about the gloves, and you say that, that's where you have to be so sure of what you observed at the crime scene. Yeah. And we go back to that when you're preparing yourself for that interview. Yeah. Because let's say he did have gloves on and you say, oh, yeah, we got the prints. Oh, you're done. Now you're the guy sitting here. Now he's playing you. <laughs> you know, yeah. now that he's going, oh, okay. So it's on prints you got me. Yeah. Oh, okay. You yeah. Know. Do they, yeah. Do they, what's other questions that they may ask themselves? Oh, do they... Do they know that I did it? Right. Do they know? Are they? Are we here in a fishing expedition? But then you have the guy, the one suspect that wants to play head games with you, who thinks he can outsmart you, and right. they're going to take you, and they're going to lead you. And we would hope that that's the person you want to talk to, because we know you're going to get past Miranda rights, yes. because no matter how clear you read them their rights, yes. that they're supposed to be read to them, uh, that that's, you know, and that's part of the introductory phase of prior to reading them their rights, that you're engaging in conversation with them so they can practice talking with you. Correct. This is not bold where you come into an interrogation room, you take out, don't say anything, maybe you say hello, and then you take out your Miranda, just like you said before, and there's no engagement. Part of the introductory phase of that, because it has so many elements to it, is that you're engaging in conversation to practice, Correct. to get them to practice to confess. And to get them comfortable with you. Yeah, of course, that's and another one, And when you yes. come in and you're sitting here, and like I said, and you mm -hmm. don't have to be hardcore. You don't have to look at sure. them like if you want to kill them. Yeah, you know what? They committed this heinous crime. Okay, well, but if you look at it from the standpoint of, and you always you hate to use the word game, but that's what it is, mm. the gamesmanship. They did something, and it's your job to bring that to light. Sure. So are you going to take everything they throw your way personal? You can't. You have to let it because that's once they start going into that personal attack, you know that that's that defensive mechanism that's just been triggered. And they want to throw out there so they can throw you off guard, and now you're going to get all pissed off, and you're going to scream and yell. Listen. That brings up that brings up something else. So, what about? Uh, let me go through this list with you. Uh, investigators' concerns. What the investigator now is the one thinking, uh, right prior to uh, bringing in the person. So, uh, is this the person that actually committed the crime? Correct. One of the things uh, is now is the interview process my last resort? Have I done everything that I needed to do? Is this my last resort? That interrogation. It's uh, something that comes up. No, well, um, you know. no, because let's just say when you prepare mm. and you go in there going, man, now I have the guy here. I have him in the box. Mm -hmm. He's in the room. He's been brought in. 
and now you're going through your checklist as right. an investigator. Mm. Did I do the scene properly? Was the scene work done? Did I review the notes that I had? Were the briefings helpful to me? Was I able to extract enough information from the investigators and witnesses that I now have a good game plan to go in and talk to this person? Right. What avenue am I going to take? Will I be able to hit the curveball if he throw if that person throws it my way? Yeah. And not be caught off guard. So yes. you have to really prepare yourself sure. for everything. And how do you prepare? You prepare the interview as if you were working for the defense. Sure. Because you have to have in the back of your mind every possible question mm -hmm. that a defense attorney is going to ask you, whether at uh, the depot uh, or in trial. Mm. What is going to come your way mm. that you can bat it, that you can hit it out of the park and yes. not have a question be brought up again? Yep. You know, where you're never going to, where there's going to be no contestation to that form that you use. Yeah, be uh, attention to detail. Um, another one is, uh, will they believe me? Will the offender believe you? Uh, am I convincing enough? Is another one, is the investigators, is the conv investigator convincing enough? Is the investigator respected during the interview process? And uh, is he the boss? Is he, who's the boss in the interrogation room? Um, that where you know that the respect, and I look at that one as a key too, the respect comes in with the way that you treated that individual prior to getting him in there. Mm. Because you might have had contact with that individual before thinking that is my target. I don't have enough yet, but that's the guy that I really want to hone in. How did you treat that individual when you ran into him or her on the street? Were you nasty? Were you like, you're the, you're, you're, you're the, big, you're the big boss, you're the police, you're the whatever? Or were you like normal, street, normal? Did you treat him with respect in front of people to where right. they say, man, you know what? He was cool with me. They were all right with me. They're not going to whatever. Or were you a, a total asshole? One thing I, that I bring up, uh, I, I tell the investigators, is if at all possible that the, the day of planning to go capture a homicide offender, wherever he is, try not to be present where you're the one that actually is doing the grabbing and capturing this person. You know, make, try to make it a point to get, have a task force or a team of guys to be the one to cuff him or take him to the police station. Correct. Or bring him to you where you didn't have to do the hands-on, and now in case there, that turns out to be an issue. Right. Uh, and, and, and how many times has that happened where the homicide offender got roughed up for whatever reason, and then now you're the one that was there doing it, now you expect the guy to come and tell you his deepest, darkest secret? Right. So I, I, I try to tell him, those are good points, I try to tell him to, uh, to avoid that stuff. And, and who's to say that you can't be in good with the family? Yeah. How many times have we not done a canvas where we're looking for someone and you go talk to the mother? And the mother talks to you yep. and say, oh, my baby won't do this and he won't do that and blah, 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 blah. And you're going, look, this is what we have. There's a couple of options here. You can bring him in. I'm not allowing you to do that. And that way he can give me their side of the story. Yes. Or we have to go out there looking for someone that is wanted for a murder. Mm -hmm. How do you think that we're going to approach an individual that's wanted for murder and running. It's not, nothing good comes out of that. And tell them also the possibility of the victim's friends. Correct. 
they're going to tell them, I, I, I've done this a, a million times. Exactly how you present it. Then the other option is, there's other people out there that want him dead, too. Yes. So yes. do you decide what's the best option for yes. your son? Either you save him now and allow him to come in, or the victim's friends are going to get him. They're, they're, but the streets, are, the streets are notorious. They're nasty. They are relentless, and they will not give up. Yeah. You know, and then that's all of a sudden, you'll get a mom that sits there and says, look, I'll call you within an hour. Yeah. Or whatever, and then you have that bonus of having the mother turn himself in, and then you have that rapport with the mother. Obviously, you're not going to use the mother to elicit, you know, to become an agent of the police and whatever, but right, right. you're going to at least afford the ability to bring in her son safely sure. without having an issue. Maybe with an attorney, maybe with someone. It doesn't matter to you at that point, because supposedly, if you've done your job and your due diligence, and you've been able to get enough evidence to where you know that that's your person, then you're good. However you can bring him in. You Correct. know, get him off the street so he doesn't commit a crime. Uh, you're efficient with your case. Yes. Um, and uh, you know what? If he doesn't confess, he doesn't confess, but you got the capture. And, However, yeah. and whatever means necessary. At least make the effort to, and to the do funny, that. And the, and the funny thing is, the you know what? Yeah, the confession is that cherry on the top when the person wants to talk to you. Mm-hmm. In my experience, everyone is willing to say something because everybody wants to brag about something that they did. <laughs> they they were the bad person at that moment. You know yeah. what? I wasn't going to let that person do this to me. I'm going to go ahead and show them what I can do. I am the badass on the street, and I have street cred. Right. Okay. But then you sit there, and you hear that from witnesses and people that are out on the street. Oh, man, mm. so-and-so is. Man, you're going to have a hard time, and you're going to have to take him down hard. Right. And then they come in, and you sit there, and you're going, really? This is the guy that was... And you see them cringing, and they're, and they're shaking, and they're nervous, and all of a sudden, they're not that hard. So there's such a huge dynamic with the, that, that street, the word on the street, you know, and the reality. And then you have... The guy that comes in, and if you've done your job, you've done your due diligence, you've prepared properly, you're able to come in and very calmly take it to that next level. Will they talk to you? Maybe they will, depending on how you mm -hmm. approach them. Or maybe they'll come in and they'll invoke and sit there and say, I don't want to talk to you. Now is when you have to sit there and reevaluate and say, Am I sure? Do I have enough? Mm -hmm. And do I move forward? Or is it yeah. that I needed him to say something for me to proceed? Or do I let him go? That's where your job as an investigator comes into play. Right, right. You know, because you're not always going to get that confession. No, you're always going to get the guy. Right. And does that mean that you failed? No, it doesn't mean you failed. Yeah, you have to, we have to know the case well, work the case as much as possible follow every single lead when everything is exhausted where there's absolutely nothing left but if you know who your offender is now you probably need to have a team briefing with your team with the prosecutor on the case and decide listen do we just go approach this guy try to get a voluntary statement from him 
And will the prosecutor move forward if the guy confesses? Right. Details of the case. Uh, or are we going to interview him to see if, you know, what, if there are alibis, if he's present? Was he there? Was he not there? Uh, to get a voluntary statement from him. And that's a decision uh, as, a, as a last resort. As a now, last resort. As, correct, because I was going to say, what happens now when you have just enough on the periphery where you're looking at it, but you don't have enough, Probably. you have enough circumstantial right. where you say it's a circumstantial case, but you don't really have enough, do you avoid bringing that person in? Yeah, you or won't. don't you? Right, you don't have enough to make to make a case. Correct. Is uh, it or do right. you, uh, I'll ask them if they voluntarily want to come in. Sure. At least get a see what kind of statement they're going to give you. Right. Are they going to material? I mean, they can so, tell you to go pound sand. Right. Because if you don't have enough to bring them in, they right. can sit there and say, you know what, I ain't talking to you, and walk well, away. And that okay, then that's fine. Now you have to make your case somewhere else. But Correct. Uh, uh, to have an opportunity to get them to come in to to give a voluntary statement to see what he tells you. Right. And even though. And if he doesn't admit to it, you're going to have to let him go. You just have nothing. Correct. Are you willing to do that? And that's something that just can't be decided by one person as the lead alone. I, I, in my opinion, I think it should be uh, worked as a team. Yeah, definitely. That is very important so long as the efforts are all the same, geared towards the exact same end. Because you don't want, and we've talked about that earlier, we don't want to lose a case because we're in a, in a rush to do something now. Yes. And... To go tell a family or the chief or whomever, hey, we made the arrest on this case. Man, that's great. And a week later, you're standing before a judge and because you just met with the state attorney and they're going, uh, we're dropping all charges. Yeah. Now what? Are you going to arrest him again? Can't do that. No, absolutely not. Can't do that. Don't want to ruin the case. So You want to make sure the prosecutor is going to be able to move forward with the case. Correct. Hey, Pep, um... You know, where the these sessions on interrogation, we're gonna have to um, keep. You know, we talked a lot about the prep preparation for interrogations, and I, I want to do some more sessions with you to go through all these different phases of what it takes to be successful in the sure. uh, interview room. And the next time we talk, I want to get into once you enter that interrogation room, what needs to get done. Uh, and there's so much prior to. We get into the reading of Miranda rights, and in the next time we talk, I want to get into that. But I certainly appreciate uh, sitting down with you today and and going through because it's so important that mentality of how important it is to be ready to be to train ourselves to be ready for that moment. All those years and hours of training to get to that one day, yeah. and, and it's so important for them it to is, be ready. It's it's very it's crucial, and I think that. Um, it's a disservice for any veteran not to impart their knowledge onto the younger investigator. Um, it's incumbent upon the agency to afford the investigators as much training as possible because $1,000 today for training is a savings of thousands of dollars down the road. Yeah. And we look at it, and I understand budgets are budgets, yeah. but... There has to come a time where an agency needs to afford um, the opportunity and set aside a certain fund for um, trainer for for investigators to go out and get that proper training. Sometimes, yeah, you can you can afford to bring them in and host a training session where you're where you're good at that. And sometimes you need to send out 
the investigators to another location because there's huge value in speaking with investigators from other agencies across the country and seeing what techniques they use or what works for them that one day you can use in one of your investigations. Right. And you're absolutely right. Well, the ultimate goal is to get that confession. The mental preparation prior to getting into that interview, we, st we set that up by letting everybody know that you need to be well-versed, well-prepared, uh, have your case read inside and out where you have it all set, and you're able then to go in there and give a good, clean interview without getting flustered because they threw something your way yes. that you weren't prepared for. Awesome. Very awesome. All right. SkyMac Consulting, right? Absolutely. SkyMacConsulting.com. All right. And if you want to look for Pepe Granada, we'll catch him in SkyMacConsulting.com. Uh, he's doing his tours and, uh, and training and then, criminal and, investigators. And that book is coming out uh, probably in April. Look for the Homicide Manifesto. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate it very much, Pep. Thank you. You got it. All right, Freddie.